This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. This is your host, Charles Cook. It's going to be with you today. And we have a special guest today, David. I'm so excited to introduce Brian Johnson and his beautiful little daughter with him. Brian, how are you today? Good. How are you, Charles? Doing great. Doing great. I understand you have a dentist appointment this morning with your daughter. Yeah, I do. Uh, I don't have one, but my daughter does. That's great. It's great having little kids. I've had four of my own. Now, Brian, my youngest is getting married Saturday, so I'm an old man now. Well, that's congratulations. Well, thank you, my friend. So uh, we, we want to talk today. The reason I wanted to have you on the show is because there's been a little bit of attention uh, finally by the mainstream press being started to uh, pay it to the southern border and what the Obama administration has been doing. And you became kind of an outspoken advocate this last week on that uh, by talking about what uh, what the government was doing behind the scenes uh, or not doing when they deported your client from the United States with 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 uh, with an inability to reach you and you to reach her to try to stop that. Tell us what happened in that case. Uh, well, basically what happened was that uh, the moment that she attempted to harm herself, kill herself, uh, somebody in ICE decided, you know, we're not going to let this girl tell her story. We're going to deport her no matter what. And... Uh, in I think this happened on June 3rd is when she tried to hurt herself and since from June 3rd until June 9th she was not allowed to see anyone in any lawyers or anyone outside of the of the detention center and uh, one second sorry that's okay uh, uh, so nobody was able to see her and she was put into an isolation cell uh, in a freezing cold, uh, it's kind of they, they call them the medical cells uh, rooms at the Carnes County uh, Center, and she was put in there by herself, separated from her four-year-old son, and she wasn't allowed to see her son for three days. Uh, and after the third day, um, they put her, uh, they let her see her son an hour each day. Wow. Um, now, David, where did, well, Brian, where did this all happen? Where, where, where is this taking place at? This happened all in uh, the Carnes County Detention Center. Okay. And this is where they're supposedly keeping families in detention, right? Moms and children. Yeah, moms and young children, usually um, under five years old. Now, how long had she been in detention before she tried to harm herself? Since October of last year, and she was only 18 at the time. She turned 18 in January of... Um, this year, uh, last year. So, she, so she, she, uh, she, she herself yeah. would have been a minor had she come even somewhat shorter time than that. Yeah, she would have been a, a 17 years old. Her first entry was only a couple months because she was a reinstatement case. She had been deported previously. Now, now that's that, that's a great question that you brought. She had been deported, but she, why was she deported? What happened that first time that caused that, quote, deportation? Yeah, well, that's the that is a good question. This, and as you know, this happens a lot. Uh, she was never given an opportunity to apply for asylum the first time. She was basically forced to be deported without an opportunity to apply. She she uh, she was scared of returning then, uh, but she was never given that that first credible fear interview. And when she was deported, um, you know, she she fled again, but this time with her son. Uh, she actually didn't have her son the first time because her the, the abuser, her ex. Well, he's not really an ex, but. Uh, the abuser, the father of the child, uh, he took the 
he took her son and, and was very uh, neglectful of him and, and uh, basically ignored him. So she took him the second time. This time, though, she's not eligible for asylum. She's only eligible for withholding. Right. Uh, right. So... Well- you know, it's interesting. You should you should bring up that fact that that first time she was not advised or uh, or allowed to apply for asylum. About a decade ago, I was uh, an expert witness for something called the U.S. Immigration um, uh, the Religious Commission International Religious Freedom. The U.S. put on, and the uh, members of the Senate and the Congress had tasked this task force with analyzing whether CBP was complying with the requirements of making sure folks were advised of the ability to have a credible fee interview when they were asking the big four questions. And what we found back in 2003, 2004, 2005 is that they were not doing it then, but then shortly there a report was released and they began to do it, but it appears they have simply blown off that requirement at this point. Yeah, it does appear like that. And, and, and an issue with this case is that she's from Honduras, and in my experience, out of the three northern triangle countries, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras, the government of Honduras will issue travel documents very quickly and against the will of their their nationals. Well, likely and because we're giving that government so much money. Right. I mean, we give the other countries too, but for whatever reason, the other government, if their national says, I'm afraid, I don't want to go back, they're not going to issue the travel documents until they get their process. Now, w- one question on this young woman. Have you had contact with her since she's been deported? I have had contact with her, and... Um, we're working on uh, getting a really uh, powerful story published. It's probably going to go today or tomorrow by McClatchy. And I'll give you guys a little bit of a preview. But what happened to her is actually worse than the initial reports because uh, she, her, it wasn't only her, but her son was put into a, a solitary cell as well. With what? With a guard for, uh, I guess, for five days. He was not bathed in those five days. Uh, his mom had to bathe him on the fourth day when she saw him for an hour, and he wasn't allowed to play with the other children. He was kept separated from everyone. And uh, at night, you know, she heard him in a, a couple of cells over. He was crying for his mother at night. And what I see, what happened to this child, what happened to her, I see it as nothing short of torture, and it was intentional to punish her for trying to harm herself. Well, first and of all, the moment she was separated from her child, that child then became an unaccompanied minor, Correct. Correct. And I, and I had another client that also tried to attempt uh, suicide, and what happened with her, they brought her to a hospital, this is a Dilly, the other facility, and uh, the child was transferred to OR custody. And I think although it's, it's, it's not that straightforward because you don't want to separate the mother and the child, but when a mom tries to harm herself, she's not at that point in time capable of caring for the child. And to keep a child in a, in a lockdown secure facility by themselves uh, is really problematic. Uh, it's like you know, you're throwing a kid in jail by themselves. Well, here's a bigger concern: uh, the child, the child had his own asylum case, I assume. Correct, he did. So, what? Uh, but they deported the child with the mother. Yeah, I think his was, you know, I think his was denied as well. I, we came onto this case really late. There was another attorney that did did the full claim in uh, in immigration court, uh, but uh, obviously the child. Would not was not able to testify at, a, at all on his own behalf, and it was all dependent upon the mother's testimony. But that child is also eligible for special immigrant juvenile status too. Hey, at the, mo- the moment, it, absolutely, as a single mother, is absolutely the case. Right, and and what and what was really crazy in the last day it was like an extraordinary rendition because the government 
the advocates on the ground had an idea that she was going to be deported on Tuesday. That was when the flight left. So there was going to be a last stand on Monday to put significant pressure on ICE to stop the removal. So to get ahead of that uh, last stand, ICE uh, ripped them out of their beds at, at uh, 5 a.m. in the morning with a couple of other families, and they brought them to a Motel 6. You are kidding me. And, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, and they kept them there for the whole day. So they were basically uh, incarcerated in a Motel 6. I assume there was guards watching over them. Yeah, in a Motel 6. Um, um, but, okay. Here. So they, they kept them there the whole day, and then the next day is when they took them from the Motel 6, and they deported them to the country. And they never, she was begging to speak to an attorney, and they didn't let her. I mean, this is just insane. This is, this is way yeah, worse is. than was originally reported. Yeah, and we're going to see this all uh, very soon. And she's angry about what, how the government treated her. She really wants to tell her story to the world. To see, uh, she was there for, for eight months. And I'll tell you that the boy, he was really little, too. He, he, uh, he's over four years old. He turned four in January. And he only weighs 33 pounds. That's, um, he weighs less than my, three, my, my daughter, who's not even three. Um, and... Uh, you know, this family, this child and this mother were in jail for eight months. I cannot even imagine what that was like for them. Uh, the clients that I have had before this in family detention, the ones that I took out uh, with bonds and, and pressure, um, they weren't in there for more than a couple months, and it was already really difficult. And for when you have talking about eight months a year, it's... Well, what 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 happened to the expedited process? The supposed Obama expedited process to make these cases go faster, so somebody wouldn't be there for ten months. Or is this actually expedited in the Obama world? This is expedited in the Obama world. I mean, they they expedite them as much as they can, but you know, there's the appeals process, and in, the, the judges are overwhelmed as well. I believe. Well, it, but is that an excuse? I mean, the reality is, no, if you're going to keep if you're going to keep somebody in jail. Uh, for that long, I mean, there there are certain due process rights that attach. Uh, one of those, of course, is is a speedy trial and a speedy appeal. And it appears the Board of Immigration Appeals themselves aren't aren't expert in these cases by any stretch of the imagination. No, not at all. Um, so, it, they should not be detaining children in any circumstances. I believe, and and that's why I was frustrated and I released the, that judge's decision. Because to me, it's clearly illegal on Flores and on a, on a constitutional grounds as well. Now you talk uh, about Flores. Tell us, tell us what, tell our folks what. Cause we have some non-lawyers that listen. What's Flores? What yeah. are you talking about there? Flores is a is a settlement. It's basically like a contract between the U.S. government and the attorney, the plaintiff, the plaintiff which was uh, there was a class action lawsuit in the nineties. Alleging that illegal, it was illegal to detain children. It went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and once it, it was remanded back to the to the district court, the INS at the time and, and the attorneys for the plaintiffs uh, came to an agreement on standards for detention of children. And the uh, this has been in place since 1997. And, and uh, in this year, earlier this year. The same attorneys for the plaintiffs issued, uh, they, they uh, filed a motion to enforce that settlement, alleging that family detention was in violation. And uh, just in April of this year, a federal district court judge 
issued a tentative ruling stating that it is illegal, uh, it is in violation of the Flores settlement to be detaining children, detaining children at, in these lockdown facilities. And uh, as you notice, in May, there were guidelines issued uh, all of a sudden for a review process of long-term detainees. And this review process that was announced in May by ICE was in direct response to that tentative ruling. And even but, but, that, but that ruling wasn't released to the public, was it? No, it wasn't. There was a, there was a summary that was. Okay. And, and, I, was, and I, I was shocked when I, when I saw the... I was a, I'm a consultant. I was retained as a consultant in, in May for the negotiations to give them on-the-ground advice. Yeah. And I signed our confidentiality agreement to not disclose any of the, the judge's orders or any of the negotiations that, um, material. And I was, as the process was ongoing, I, I was shocked at how this was unfolding. I couldn't believe that such a, a matter of public interest and something that requires, basically we're, they're making law in a very closed uh, atmosphere. There wasn't, you know, there was no, I think it was just a bunch of lawyers. There were no, not, it wasn't like when you're even issuing federal regulations where there's notice and comment. And, and I saw that what happened with my client, Lillian, who was deported, that was the last straw. I said, look, they said that they were going to review uh, the long-term detainees. They said they were going to start doing, putting in these procedures. And I, and I knew about the judge's decision, and I was just shocked that the government was just saying, well, we don't care about this. We're going to continue to do whatever we want. Uh, and uh, that's what I think is happening. That's what I think is going to continue to happen. I think the government is going to, even if there is a favorable settlement, the government is going to continue to violate the Flores settlement, and they're going to continue to detain children. Well, Brian, I, I want to I talk a bit about, do you have a, we have to take a quick break here. Can you stay on the phone and let us talk a little bit more about this in the next segment? Uh, yeah, I'll try to. I'm, I'm on the way to the dentist, but I should still be in the car at that point. Great. We'll, just, we'll be back on the air, just back with you in about a minute or two, okay? Sure, sounds good. All right, it's Chuck Cook on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Si usted tiene problemas con inmigración o asuntos que tiene que arreglar, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Tenemos más de 50 años de experiencia haciendo las leyes de inmigración y defendiendo a los inmigrantes. Llámenos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611 o al www.immigration.net. This is Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. for a new show here on America's Web Radio. We call it the Prologue. I'll be introducing you to other writers you may not have heard of yet. That's Fridays at 11 a.m. here on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. On the line, right? Welcome back to America's Web Radio. Brian, thanks for staying on the line with us. We appreciate that. 
Brian, oh, my pleasure. I've got a question for you. Um, that David, who is our producer here, uh, he asked this really interesting question. Um, and I think I corrected him correctly. Is Well, some people might not feel bad for her because she broke into the U.S., but that's not the case, is it? She showed up at the border no. and said, I am afraid. That's correct. She came here and she said, I'm afraid to go back to my country. So she, she actually you. followed the law on people seeking asylum in America by showing up at a authorized port of entry and saying, I'm afraid to go back. Uh, as, was it a port of entry? I'm not sure if it well, was so, a port of entry. I think, I, I think she was, uh, but I think, you know, I think she did, she, she didn't uh, try to evade authorities. She was apprehended immediately upon entry. Um, and and that's true for the vast majority of these detainees. They're not sneaking across the desert. Many of them have showed up literally at a port of entry. Right, correct. Now, David asked another question, and this is, this is a great question from David because it goes along with what our, of our shows are typically are. Who is ordering this? Where is this coming from, this mandatory detention, this stealth rendition? Who is letting this happen? Uh, uh, the stealth rendition, I don't know how far that goes up. I think, uh, I think it's likely that it goes pretty high, at least. Johnson and DHS, and I, I do know that family detention in general is, there, is is a product of the White House. It's it's a pure, purely political. Uh, I believe it's a political uh, policy to to make sure that the Democratic Party does not look soft on the border. And the problem that family uh, units present to the Democratic Party is that before last year, it just looks like they're just pouring over the border, and everyone's getting released into the interior, and there's no enforcement of the law. Like, anyone can come in. And uh, that's an issue with unaccompanied minors as well, and that's why the administration tried to change the law last year to, to push for expedited deportation of, of, of minors that come of alone. children. So they, right. So they wouldn't even be able to see an immigration judge the vast majority of the time. But this is a law... Pa- what, now, that wasn't that initially a law passed by a Democratic president back in the 90s to say, hey... We we got to treat children differently. No, that was actually the really really strong law that was passed. Uh, was the 2008 law, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act. All right, Reauthorization Act, and that was actually signed into law by a Republican by, by George Bush. A Republican put this into law, and, and now Obama, a Democrat who thinks he looks soft on immigration, and along with his policies wonks in in the White House, decide let's put women and children in jail. Correct, and I, and I think this is, I, you know, there's a mounting evidence that is, it is a purely from the White House because there is significant, significant opposition within the Democratic Party. If you saw those letters recently from the Senate uh, and the, the House, they are angry at what's happening. They've, they've seen, they've visited, the staffers for Congress members have visited the facilities, they've heard the horror stories. They're angry that our government is, is harming children in such a way and for what? We don't really know what. It, it, what, are, what. What are we accomplishing by harming these, these children? Uh, I don't think we're accomplishing anything. We're just making the world the worst off place. Now, some people would argue, well, we have to have some sort of, um, some sort of uh, a threat to people so they don't do this, so they don't come here and seek asylum, I guess. I guess that's the kind of the theory. If, they don't, if they're not going to come here and seek asylum, they need to be, no, they're going to go to jail. But is this a deterrent for people to come in? You know, if somebody's look, look at the, my client Lillian, do you think uh, she she was 
she endured eight months in jail because she's terrified of returning. Even at the very end, when she tried to kill herself, she did not. She 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 fainted when she heard that they were deporting her. Uh, when you're talking about life or death, uh, death is not an option. So you have to find the the best place where you can be safe. And even with uh, our deterrence policies uh, and deterrence atmosphere, women and children are still going to flee. Women. Uh, and parents across the world are going to do what they have to do to save their their families and their children. Um, you can even look look how hard it is for refugees to enter Europe. They take even more desperate measures uh, to get to safety. Well, uh, uh, well, aren't aren't many of these kids refugees by most yeah, definitions? Yes, by many of them are refugees, and if they are not, you know that the Congress still intended to protect the vast majority of them by implementing the uh, enhanced uh, rule for special immigrant juveniles in 2008. So our Congress wanted to protect the vast majority of these children, uh, and they even want special procedures to, to make sure that these kids get their due process. And right now that's, all, that's turned on its head. The, the uh, Obama administration is acting directly against the will of Congress uh, and it doesn't look like it's ever going to end until he's out of office. Well, uh, it, it appears also that, I mean, there's clearly something, it's not just in the DHS, but I think DOJ must have a hand in this because they're actively denying bonds, the immigration judges, to people once they have a credible fear finding, which is completely incongruous to what their past practices have been. Yeah, I mean, there, there are some judges that are doing that, but there are some that are, are issuing bonds. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of judges that are arbitrarily not whole, uh, giving any bonds. Uh, and also, you know, the rocket docket, the, the prioritization of these cases, that's not the, that's not the uh, hallmark of a, of a judicial branch. It's a political, you know, DOJ has become part of DHS. Well, certainly, uh, certainly in this context, they absolutely have. I mean, is, here's a big question for you. Finally, on Sunday, the New York Times had a piece about this, a year after this started. Where is the national press on this issue? This, is a, this is a, should be a moral outrage for people. There is some national press, but you know, I've worked with a couple of journalists, and I think the big thing that's blocking it is the secrecy that the government is purposely uh, using. So the press, a lot of editors don't want to to publish certain stories because they don't have enough evidence that it actually happened. So that that was an example with the Associated Press. Uh, with the New York Times, I can say for sure that it, it really looks like they're more beholden to the government. Uh, they want their secret, they want their uh, exclusive access to Jay Johnson. If you look at that recent New York Times article, there was absolutely no mention of the tentative ruling or the Flores litigation. Uh, and I think that was very, that misrepresented a big uh, the most important part of the story today, uh, that family detention is illegal. <laughs> uh, so I think uh, I think it's, there's a couple reasons why it's not getting as much attention as it should. One is that the government's intentionally trying to suppress information. And I think the second thing is, uh, you know, it's a very depressing news story. I don't think a lot of people want to hear about it. I think well, you know, there's something very interesting in this article that said this. A staff pediatrician performs weekly wellness checks, an official said. They didn't talk to the pediatrician. On a recent day, a nurse oh, yeah. took the temperature everyone entered the dining hall to control an outbreak of the chicken pox. This is insane. Yeah. 
so when they have, you know, what happens is very interesting. When there's a chickenpox outbreak, what happens is very different from what would happen in the real world. They put the kids in a, in a room and they keep them mocked up, like in a jail, for however long it takes to for the incubation period to go out. This is like something out of a Romanian um, orphanage from the 80s, for God's sakes. Right, yeah, it's horrible. And, and, you know, I also noticed in the article they said there was an office, there was a report from DHS, Office of Civil Rights and Civil Liberties, that reported that there was not significant weight loss. But that's misleading, because you don't have to have weight loss to have a big problem. If you have a two-year-old that's been detained for eight months and they haven't gained any weight at all, that's just, that's, that's a really... Red flag. That, that, that is pro- that that has serious long term consequences. Yes, and I, it is outrageous. There, every case that I've seen, I've had seven or eight families. Children have suffered extraordinarily. Uh, whether they've lost weight, whether they've gotten seriously ill, whether they've been sexually abused, uh, it's just a it's a nightmare for these kids. And any information to the contrary, you know, they've never actually released evidence they don't they don't release the medical records they just make conclusory statements and uh they hope that the mainstream media buys it well so far they have because i haven't seen anything on fox or msnbc or any of the big three networks about this at all well yeah mostly you know surprisingly ironic msnbc did do a a special recently that i saw and also fox news uh brian yenna um he did a special too um, but, yeah, I, I hopefully it will pick up steam. It's not really, you know, not just the, there's been specials, but, you know, they don't have this on, like, live shows. They don't invite the families. Now, are we, are, we, are we bracing for the announcement from the Obama administration that uh, their successful detention program has limited the number of people coming into the U.S. illegally this summer to seek the same relief as last summer because the numbers are down so dramatically? Uh, I don't think so. I hope not. I mean, I, I think... I think they're going to continue to, uh, you know, unfortunately, I think that they're going to continue to use these facilities. And even if even if there is a short-term period detained there, like a week, two weeks, I still think it's highly problematic because DHS is in control of the custody of these children, and they are not they are not appropriate to be taken care of. Well, in fact, it was your wasn't it your letter to the Texas authorities asking for the license of the people at Dilly to operate a child care facility that caused the state of Texas, to actually issue a license? Yeah, I think that might have been part of it. But that license, that, that article was misleading because they only issued a license for, like, a little daycare facility within the facility. Not, not to house the children, which is what they're doing. They're yeah. housing children. Correct, correct. So if you look at the letter from the, the, the commissioner, Specia, uh, he kind of hinted that that, that that would be possible, but it was, it was a very limited circumstance. Um, but even if there was licensing from the state, there's an inherent, and that is the case with Berks, there's an inherent uh, power imbalance between the state authorities and the federal government, which makes the protection basically meaningless. In Berks, there's been countless complaints against the Child Protective Services, and none of the kids have been, um, there's been no action against the federal government for neglect. Well, you, you certainly rang that bell several times, but, you know, I think the problem is not enough people are listening or even understand the issue. And they don't, I think unless they could see it on the ground, I don't think they could really appreciate uh, the, the, the terrible nature of the situation. One, one, yeah. a couple of, one couple of final points. One, some of these women and children have received excellent free legal representation and won their asylum cases. 
But the vast ma- and, and which evidence why they should have been released in the first place. But the vast majority aren't represented because there aren't enough lawyers. Um, it, it appears that the approval rate for people with lawyers is very high for asylum cases. Very high. Um, and for those without lawyers, the approval rate is essentially zero. Um, I mean, it, keeping them in a place like Dilly, Texas, which by all measures is in the middle of freaking nowhere without access to legal help, uh, is there, you know, what else should the Obama administration be doing besides letting people go on bond or just letting them go in the first place? I think the only way, the way that I've seen it develop, the horrors that I've seen, uh, the crimes that I think uh, have happened, I think there's only one way to release them. Uh, there, there cannot be any detention of children by DHS. Or there would have to be, like, the Office of Refugee Resettlement. But, guys, I got I got to the dentist's appointment. I got to go. Right we now. thought you had to go. Brian, thank you so much for your time today. You've been awesome. Fight the good Thanks fight, and we're supporting you. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Have a good one. You too. We'll Thanks. be back on the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio in just a second. Si usted ha casado con un ciudadano o tiene problemas con inmigración o tiene una oferta de trabajo, llama a los abogados de Cook Immigration Partners. Somos en su lado. Con más de 100 años de experiencia en la ley de inmigración, conocemos la ley y sabemos cómo ayudarle. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611, a las 404-816-8611, o visítenos al www.immigration.net. With all the back and forth in today's politics, It seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. That was compelling radio, wasn't it, David? Compelling. Oh, yeah. And I, I hope it compelled someone to step up and do something. Well, you know, people like Brian, and, there, and there's hundreds of other lawyer volunteers that have been in and out of Dilly. Uh, kudos to them for uh, the remarkable work they've done uh, at that place in representing women and children. The problem is, David, the facility holds up to 2,400 women and children. There literally isn't enough time. and Because if you're going to be volunteer there, I mean, Dilly is an hour or so or two south of San Antonio. Uh, and uh, they do have a Motel 6 in town or something like that, some days in or something. Uh, but you can't go there. If you're going to volunteer your time, it's a week, right? So it means you have to physically go there. And then they limit your ability to access your client to certain hours. You're, well, you're almost in Mexico if it's two hours uh, away. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's not that far from the border. And really, and people got to take, off from their, take their vacation to go down there or take their, their time away from their practices to go down there. And people are doing it, but the numbers just aren't big enough. You put a facility like this in New York City, you have tons of lawyers come in, bam, they, everybody be represented. 
Uh, but even here, an example in Stewart, three hours south of here, or Irwin County, where there are some, some, some women held without children on these cases, you still can't get enough pro bono lawyers. Who? I've learned this word. Who has standing to go to federal court and sue on this? Well, that'd be an interesting question. You know, standing, of course, is the big issue in the DACA lawsuit, whether the states have standing to, to stop DACA. And you would think the attorney general of the state of Texas, or the governor of the state of Texas, who was so concerned about the money being spent in his state by undocumented immigrants, that he would try to stop this nightmare happening in Dilly to women and children who are residents of his state. You know, they are counted for census purposes. Um, and where is the compassion on this? I mean, I, I think the state of Texas could go in. They, they're supposed to regulate child care facilities, but they're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. Although I think it would be, a, if you really want to show Obama up, show how cruel and heartless he is to children, and ask Hillary, Hillary would do the same thing. I mean, Hillary hasn't answered this question yet. Of course, she hasn't answered many <laughs> questions at all. Uh, but, David, this, this whole facility, this whole child uh, detention thing, uh, speaks volumes about where the Obama administration really is on immigration. Uh, and there are a lot of moving parts in the immigration debate. Uh, there are undocumented immigrants who aren't detained. There are these fleeing violence, refugees in many, in many circumstances, that in other countries are detained. I had, I had an email this week, David, from somebody in, in England who listens to our show. Um, and uh, Andrea sent me a, a, a chart. Uh, England was... Um, um, began to get an enormous number of refugees coming to the country uh, from, from outside the country applying for asylum back in uh, the early part of the 2000s. They implemented a mandatory detention program if you're applying for asylum there. And her argument is the number of people coming in to seek asylum dropped dramatically. But that also, that, drop, that dramatic drop also coincided with an improving economy in third world countries. So much like here, where you had fewer people coming in to seek asylum when there weren't a lot, uh, when, when, when there was jobs available and people were no longer coming, people had better jobs back home, the asylum rates dropped. Up until the refugee crisis of last summer for these children, the numbers at the border for asylum had dropped dramatically. But they went up because what happened in those countries wasn't people fleeing, those children were fleeing, was not a direct result of something the U.S. did. It was a direct result of what happened in those countries. Now, what's been interesting, David, and this is a stunning number, we know the grant rate for represented asylum cases for these women and children is high. Well above 50%. Well above 50%. But we know that the the representation rate, the the approval rate for non-represented cases is somewhere in the 0% range. Um, Mexico has now detained about 20,000 or so of these women and children, these migrants coming to America on their way here. And Mexico has granted asylum 16% of the time to these, to these refugees from Central America. Mexico has. So the approval rate for Mexico granting asylum is actually higher than the approval rate for a lot of immigration judges here in the United States. You have to ask why. Well, they get all the good cases in Mexico, and we only get the bad cases. I guess that's one way to look at it. Uh, not a true way of looking at it, but one way to look at it. Uh, and, and many feel the Mexican uh, asylum process is um, a, a much more difficult process to manage and direct, 
and they have a huge backlog of cases like we have. But here, if these women were released, there's two fears. Okay, One fear is if you're released, you won't show up. I think that fear is overblown because you can put an ankle monitor on somebody. I mean, as dehumanizing as it is, it's better than being in jail. And you put an ankle monitor on somebody and make them report. Um, but I think the fear is so many of them would get asylum because they would then have access to pro bono lawyers in the different areas. There's a lot of immigration lawyers. There's 14,000 immigration lawyers. We could all take one or two cases and represent almost all of these people. Now, not all of us practice immigration asylum law, but we, we, you could be taught if you know the basics. Um, and I think the grant rate would go much higher. But at the same time, there is this fear they're not going to show up for their hearings. Is the only way to resolve that by keeping them in jail? Jail, by the way, David, do you know it's not actually free to keep them in that jail? And Dilly is run, a 2400 bed facility, or potentially 2400 bed facility, is run by the Corrections Corporation of America, a private prison, who has no experience, as far as we know, detaining children. Brian's story of this woman's four-year-old being kept in essentially solitary confinement away from his mother and other children, do you think that has long-time psychological effects on that kid? Oh, oh my gosh. Oh, my. That is insane. Now, the counter-argument that you hear from a lot of people, well, are you going to let all these women and kids just walk into America? Nobody's suggesting that. Let's interview them. Even Brian said, let's interview them. We can keep them to pain for a week or so in better conditions. We, we, can, we, we are a great country. We have the ability to run a program that measures up to our greatness as far as welcoming refugees and asylees. And we can put them on a much better track than we're currently doing. What Obama has done, basically, smacks of punishment and uh, reeks of injustice. But nobody's complaining about it other than the advocates like Brian. Well, I take issue with you. I don't, I don't think we're a great country today. Uh, I think we are a very deceitful, lie, and, and when I say country, I, let me take that back, government. Yeah, you're not talking about the people. I'm talking, about, people, I'm talking about the people of the, America. The people of America People of America would open people. their, if people of America knew about if this they game, knew about this. They would go, oh my gosh, can I adopt one of these kids? Can I yeah. bring them in? People would do that. I, yes, I agree. The government, our government today, are, it's not made up of great people. It's made up of liars. It's made up of... Uh, people that are deceiving us. Hey, you know, it's it's sort of like the reporter that was de- denied access to Hillary. Oh, but, the reporter from the Daily Mail? Yeah. The British tabloid? Yeah. Yeah, that... Uh, but they have offices in the United States. Oh, no, I agree. I mean, I'm, I'm just giving you a hard time, David. Right. It's, uh, you, you bring up Hillary because it's easy to bring up Hillary, but you got to get used to be saying Madam President. Because not, not yet, unless the GOP gets their act together here before the election, not promises for after the election, that's what you're going to be calling her. Not yet, brother. But anyway. <laughs> uh, I'm not voting for her. I'm just telling you what my perception of reality is. But, you know, this is, this is where you, more of this. And, you know, I guarantee you, I, I'll make you a guarantee. If Brian call and we and you know about this, and you know about this facility in Texas, mm-hmm. this is the tip of the iceberg. What do you not know about? Is the question. Well, that's that's really, it's really because we don't have access to the inside. 
It's only a matter of time before there's some whistleblower guard who just gets fed up with this and goes, this is absolutely insane. But not just in Texas. What's happening in Wyoming? What's happening in Nebraska? What's happening in you name it? Yeah, I mean, this is not... We, we see this magnified because we're paying attention. We, on the inside, are paying attention to this right now. What about the places where you're not seeing this happen? Well, um, we don't, you may not even know about them. Yeah, yeah. Where did they ship them? Well, that's really the big question. Where did they ship them? Um, you know, last summer we know they were keeping them in, in, in a detention center in New Mexico. We talked about this on the show last year. What a terrible, awful place that was for these women and children. Uh, but even so, even, even, even Dilly... This woman was so desperate, she tried to kill herself. She has a four, She's 18 years old. She has a four-year-old, likely conceived in, not, in a, not in a favorable manner, and she tries to kill herself. What does that say about the ability of these locations to care for the mental health and well-being of the people in front, at them? It is, it is inherently evil to do this to women and children. Uh, and I think if more Americans were aware of this, I think they would they, they would actually start demanding. But, you know, David, it's not just the detention at Dilly. There's another detention center in Eloy, Arizona, which is outside of Phoenix, about an hour outside of Phoenix. Uh, and it's all men there. Uh, the conditions there have gotten so bad that 200 detainees have begun a hunger strike. 200, not just one guy. 200 have begun a hunger strike. And what did, the, what did, CB, what did ICE do to result? Clamp down, no press, no access to lawyers. And they're trying to hide behind the, the veil of security uh, this idea that there is a, a nightmare happening. Okay, let me ask. Are all ICE people bad? No, absolutely not. I know ICE men and women that are good. So who's who's carrying out the orders? Well, first of all, many of these are in private detention facilities. So, okay, so they're employees they're not ICE, of companies. They? They're employees of companies don't want to lose their job. So they're not ICE though. They're, many of them aren't ICE. ICE so ICE I mean ICE leadership ICE Zaldana, she bears the ultimate responsibility. The buck stops or the buck stops at Obama, but the buck stops on her desk. She's in charge of ICE. When they do stuff, it's her it should be her that should be called in the Congress and say, what the hell are you doing to these people? How, how dare you be doing this to these people? Does your, does your representative, Dr. Tom Price, know about this? I, I am sure he knows about it because I have sent him a letter about it, which I'm sure he has not read. Um, but I don't think he cares about this. I, these people, he's, like you, you brought up earlier, well, they came in illegally. Many of them didn't. Many of them came in legally and asked for asylum and said, I'm afraid to go back to my country. Um, what about Isaac? Protect me. Does he know about it? Yeah, I don't think Johnny really cares. I don't think he really cares. Um, what about Purdue now? David definitely doesn't care in here, as I can tell. Um, so I'm not sure they care. But, you know, they, they, why? if they don't know about it, why? Because yeah, I think Why don't they know about it? Either we we covered, pay them to know about stuff like this, right? Either, either covered up or they're being blackmailed. Not to know about it. There's a lot. I mean, there have been congressional hearings, at least in some extent, on this. But our congressmen don't appear to pay that much attention. Maybe it's because this is we're not the border, but it's happening in their state. It's happening in Stewart and in and in uh, and in Irwin County. You'd think they'd be just a light, slight bit interested in this, or maybe all they care about is that illegal immigration brings jobs to those counties. Maybe that's all they really care about, uh, and the rest of it doesn't really matter to them. Um, 
So, David, this is, uh, I mean, you can tell this is a very frustrating thing for a lot of people. There's lots of other folks um, that we could um, really uh, uh, talk to about how bad this is. And maybe we'll have some more guests on in the future to talk about their experiences. There's a local lawyer went down to downtown Stewart one uh, went down to Dilly and lived through this and could tell us about it. Let's take a break here on America's Web Radio on the Immigration Hour. Soy Charles Cook, el jefe del grupo de abogados Cook Immigration Partners. Estoy en su lado con más de 20 años de experiencia con la ley de inmigración. Conozco cómo ayudarle. Sé la ley. Y sé que alguna gente podemos ayudar. Llámanos hoy a las 404-816-8611. A las 404-816-8611. O visítenos en el internet. www.immigration.net This is Georgia author Doug Dahlgren. Join me Fridays at 11 a.m. for a new show here on America's Web Radio. We call it the Prologue. I'll be introducing you to other writers you may not have heard of yet. That's Fridays at 11 a.m. here on America's Web Radio. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business, or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules, or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200, or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Let's take a well, Welcome back, David. It's great to be back in our final segment here. We didn't really talk about the garden this week, but I want you to know that I had lettuce this week for dinner. I I didn't plant lettuce. I, I was late. And so yeah, my lettuce actually came out pretty good. Um, my peas have not done well because I planted those a little bit late. But I will have tomatoes to put on your lettuce very within the next few days. Oh, well, I should bring some lettuce in for you next week so that you can um, eat some salad. Uh, bring me a tomato, too, because I think it's going to be a while before I have tomatoes. Um, but my squash, I will be bringing squash in next week. It's my squash has bloomed, but I don't have any squash. I have squash all over mine. Squash, and zucchini, all kinds. I mean, they're little, but uh, if they're little today, that means tomorrow they'll be three feet long. Yeah. If we'd only get a little rain, David, we'd all be happy. I'm tired of watering my garden by hand. Thir- tomorrow, Thursday and Friday. It went down from 60% to 20% this morning. I didn't see that. Uh, yes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was very excited about Friday, too, because I'm going to get somebody to water my garden. I, my son's getting married on Friday, on Saturday in Utah, and we'll be out of town from Wednesday through Sunday, so I've got to find somebody to come water my garden for a couple times while, while we're out of town. We'll, well, if you need me to, I'll be here all weekend. So. I'll, do, <laughs> I'll have you come on over to pull the pump and get, get that going. Um, you know, the, the other thing that's really kind of been uh, stunning to me this week uh, is the amount of attention paid uh, to uh, immigration by the political candidates. Uh, you know that Jeb Bush announced yesterday he was going to run for president. I know I was personally shocked that he ultimately decided. I thought he wasn't going to do it. <laughs> um, and he had protesters at his event. Did you see the, pro- the immigration protesters at his event? Um, and he shouted them back. And i got to tell you, kudos to Bush for, for, for saying what he said. He said, look, uh, you're not going to have to be here next year Uh, because when I'm president, we're going to pass immigration reform, and we're not going to have to do it by executive order. Now, Obama wouldn't have to do it by executive order either if the Republicans in the House had voted on immigration reform. So I don't know how Jeb's going to get around those Republicans, because they're not changing. 
they're not the House Republicans aren't changing their position on immigration. They don't want immigration reform. They 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 love the the, the tail that wags the dog in the House is certainly not going to change uh, their their position on this. Uh, and then Hillary, of course, came out and said she's going to expand the executive orders. Uh, nobody knows exactly how she's going to do that, uh, but she is beginning to Nor answer. Nor does she. Neither does she. But she is beginning to answer questions from the press, David. I know you're excited about that because you you could bring your press credentials, being a web journalist that you are, uh, and ask her you know important pertinent questions on immigration. So the next time we're here, we'll see if we can get you in the press pool. Oh wait a second, that doesn't guarantee you can get into her events That's either. All right. <laughs> um, now, David, you asked about. Um, uh, the idea, who else is complaining about the detention centers in the United States? Uh, well, actually, uh, there are a number of, of, of groups out there. The American Immigration Lawyers Association is um, very vocal in uh, trying to push the administration on um, doing something about this. Well, Although they also invited Cecilia Munoz, who is the White House policy czar on immigration, to be their keynote speaker, then you'll come. And that's drawn, that's drawn a lot of criticism well, I'm uh, about, sure about this you, as well. You know the president of the association. Why don't you invite him to be on, and you can ask him both questions. Yeah, I don't think I'll be inviting this president. I might I might invite the, the incoming president-elect to be on our show in a couple of years, or the outgoing president, to ask her opinion on this. Uh, but I think she's done as good a job as she possibly can. Um, but there's another group called Immigration Equality, which is an LGBTQ organization, because it's not just women and children that are being detained. It, you know, there's also gay people being detained in the in these places uh, without access to adequate mental health or other other care. Transgender detainees. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff that goes on in these detention centers uh, that are allowed to happen uh, uh, in these units. Now, in certain uh, ICE facilities, they do have separate uh, housing units known as GBT pods. Um, uh, which is gay, bisexual, transgender pods, uh, where they keep these folks. That's not in every single facility. Um, and I know that you tend to be more sympathetic towards women and children, but there's mental health issues, mental, mental health, mentally ill detainees. We had one detainee that we uh, that uh, tried to kill himself here in Stewart. Uh, we filed a petition for a habeas corpus to get him out. He'd been there for months to get him out of jail, and they deported him the day after we filed the application. They hadn't been able to deport him for nine, eight months. We filed the habeas. They deport him the next day. See, that speaks volumes about the, the, the deceit or the laziness or the uh, outright incompetence of some leadership in ICE. And you have to ask, if somebody is deportable, why aren't they deporting them? Or if, you, or if there are equities that weigh in their favor about not being deported, which they, I mean, they can deport who they want. Why aren't they exercising those those equities? It's very problematic right now at ICE. I think it becomes it comes from terrible leadership, uh, both prior leadership and current leadership at the senior levels of ICE, who don't carry with them the credentials or the experience. The current head of ICE has no immigration experience whatsoever, none, zero. And if you have no immigration experience whatsoever, how can you be respected by the field? And be expected to come up with policy and procedures that reflect both justice and equity, as well as the rule of law. Hey, throw all that out the window. Oh, David, come on! You've got you got to have this stuff. No, throw it all out the window. 
you know, there's one, there's one thing here. There's one thing here that, and you haven't mentioned it, but it's true across the board. I don't care whether we're talking about Obamacare, immigration, you name it. It's all the same thing. Follow the money. They follow the money. Who's making yeah, the we've, money we've out of this thing? We've talked about this before as well. You know, follow the, somebody's making money on this. We know the private prisons are making money on it. We know the private prisons pay large contributions to politicians to support their product. Their in fact, you know, it was interesting. This came out a couple months ago. We didn't really talk about it. One of the politicians has received a lot of money every year from um, from these CCA group, CCA and other private prisons. Is your favorite Democratic politician Hillary? No, not, not Hillary. I'm sure she gets the money, but she doesn't need the money. She gets it from Wall Street. Uh, no, who is the head of the Democratic Party? Uh, the spokesperson, you see her on Debbie Wasserman Schultz. You see her all the time as the talking head. I know, she gives you the willies. Um, but she gets a ton of money from these people, and she spoke out in support of private prisons. This isn't a Republican-Democrat issue, David. This is a money issue. Absolutely. This is absolutely a money issue. And you look at where the money's coming from and where the money's going. This is a multi... Now, think about it. What is the biggest detention organization in the federal government. Now, most Americans probably go, oh, the Bureau of Prisons, right? They, they run the prisons. Uh-uh. No, ICE is the biggest detention. Why is there a mandatory bed count every night of 34,000 beds? Why are politicians demanding that ICE live up to this to fill their beds? And now, many, it's all about the money. It's all about the money. Money, this is money... Do we actually need to keep these people? Do we have to keep this many people detained? Now you want to detain bad people. I want to detain bad people. Are most of these people bad people? Let me give you a story, David. We've represented a woman for almost fifteen years. She is a uh, in nineteen ninety two. She was living in New York City. She's an immigrant from Colombia, permanent resident. Uh, she was relatively young. She was like twenty twenty one. She's living with a guy. The guy did drugs. She didn't do drugs. Uh, they went somewhere in the car. She gets stopped for the car. The car gets searched by the police. There's drugs in the car. Not her drugs. Boyfriend's drugs. They charge her with possession and trafficking. She was driving the car. She gets, federally, she gets sentenced to five years in prison. Okay? Uh, she serves four years and ten months. She gets out in 1996. She gets put into deportation proceedings right after the law changed that made drug crimes your, your, your death penalty. But she was the mother of, of uh, younger children, a couple of small kids. So they let her out on they let her out on, on bond, essentially, what they call order of recognizance. She's been reporting on an order of recognizance since 2000, 15 years, 15 years. Her oldest son is a two-tour combat veteran of Iraq from the Marines. American hero. Last week, on her report, she reports, she's never missed a report date. She comes in right when they tell her to come in at the moment she's there. She came in last week, they detained her. We're gonna, you're, now a danger to, you're now a danger to the community, and we're going to deport you from the United States. This is the new policy of the Obama administration. The mother of an Iraq war hero with an ancient drug conviction for something she didn't even do 
is going to be deported to Colombia for the rest of her life, David. For the rest of her life. Why? To satisfy a number? Oh, we, we deported all these... Bad, you're going to see the report. We deported all these horrible rapists, drug traffickers, child molesters. You know, one of those, one of those, one of those. And then 150,000 people who broke traffic laws. I mean, this is, this is the modern age we live in. Every day Congress does nothing is a day more American families are torn apart and separated. Every day Congress does nothing, our asylum laws aren't properly enforced. Every day Congress does nothing, Obama issues more executive orders subject to court intervention. Every day Congress does nothing on immigration reform is another day in which America suffers because we can't fix an eminently fixable problem eminently fixable problem and we do nothing David it's it's remarkably frustrating to me as an immigration lawyer for 26 years that we continue to do nothing in 1990 the last time Congress passed an effective change to our immigration laws I was involved in a, in a, in a, in a regulation uh, writing and commenting team on the American Immigration Lawyers Association and since that moment we have said you need to fix you did these things wrong you need to fix these things and for 25 years, we have advocating for fixing broken laws with Congress. And for 25 years, Congress fixes nothing. What a bunch of useless human beings. Uh, really, David, it's just remarkably frustrating. And if I'm frustrated on immigration, I can only imagine how frustrated you are on everything else. Uh, it's been a great show this week, David. And thank you to Brian Johnson again, a terrific young man, a great young lawyer with his wife, Alamochi, who is really passionate about this issue as well, and kudos to them. This is the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. Until next week, have a great week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.